So on the uh, screen, you see a, a background of Wilderness to Promised Land, and that series actually is going to start in a couple of weeks, but this is a great, a great introduction to that, and uh, next Sunday we will uh, have another kind of standalone sermon, but, um, but this morning somewhat tying together where we've been for the past month in that of restoration, whether it's spiritual restoration inside of us, relational restoration with those around us, uh, restoration of our community, our ongoing restoration that we saw last week, all focused to get us to the promised land, where Christ desires for you where Christ desires for us to live and where we will live as sons and daughters of His for all eternity. There are things that have been termed spiritual disciplines. And um, I know you hate that second word more than likely, like I do. But I was told a story, I heard a story uh, not too long ago of a quote, young buck, end quote, lumberjack. And this lumberjack was making a name for himself, cutting through the forest. He was fast. He was bold. And he liked everyone to be looking at him as he was making a name for himself. And it came time that as he was making that name for himself, that he was going to go up against an older lumberjack who also was known for cutting through the forest. And he was going to see if his skills would beat that lumberjack. And so the day got there, and as dawn approached, they were both in the woods, and they got a quick start. And the young lumberjack, he went on a tear. One tree, four trees, ten trees, fifteen trees. I mean, he was setting a huge pace. And he cut, and he chopped. All day long. Didn't even stop for lunch, didn't stop for a break. He just continued to chop. And as he was chopping, he would look over at the other lumberjack. And it would seem that for about 45 minutes, that guy was chopping and everything was great. And then he would just rest. He just stopped. In 10 minutes at least, every hour, he stopped. And that young lumberjack's like, there is no way in the world that I'm going to be beat today. And at the end of the day, the old lumberjack had chopped down 33% more. And the young guy was, was in a gas. He, he was, how in the world could this happen? That guy took a break every hour and I didn't even stop. And he went up and he asked him, how in the world did you do it? The old lumberjack looked at him and said, yes, it's true, you set a quick pace. Yes, it's true, you shot out of the cannon. Yes, it's true, you didn't stop. But it's also true that every time I took a break, I sharpened my axe. And because I sharpened my axe, every time I took a break, every chop of every tree, more wood was chopped down. Spiritual disciplines are like that. 
Spiritual disciplines in your life and in my life are needed to sharpen the axe, so to speak. And so this morning, I want us to spend just a few moments looking at a spiritual discipline that we don't necessarily like to partake in. One of the hardest, if not the hardest, spiritual disciplines for me, I won't throw you in the group, but for me is fasting. If you have a copy of God's Word, turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we are going to jump into the middle of what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter 6, I'm going to read for us verse 5 down through verse 18. We're going to see Jesus' command to pray and also to fast, and our time this morning will be on fasting. When you pray, verse 5 states, when you pray, you, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people. Truly, I tell you, They have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, go into your closet, shut your door, and pray to the Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. When you pray, don't don't babble like the Gentiles since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. And then we see the model prayer. Therefore, you should pray like this. Our Father in heaven, Your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. Then verse 16. When you fast. Whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. For they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put oil on your head and on your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others but to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would speak to our hearts today from your word. Father, that you would You would break through the the thought process that we have in our minds on this spiritual discipline of fasting. God, I pray that you would show us 
these two files as tools to sharpen our acts, our lives, spiritually speaking, for your namesake. So God, as I walk through this and as we look at other passages in these moments, would you draw our hearts to you? I ask it in Christ's name. Amen. There's a couple of topics that I don't like preaching on. One of the topics that I don't like preaching on is fasting. And the reason that I don't like preaching on fasting is because I know, it's not I think, I know how terrible I am when I seek to fast. How, how short my attention span is. Like, hey, I'm going to fast this particular day. I set out to do the fast. I set out to spend time at those meal times with the Father. And 11.30 in the morning comes. And because I am so trained that it's lunchtime, I'm already in the car, already at the spot, already at the house making the sandwich, already taking three or four bites of it, almost already finished eating. And then I was like, oh, you dummy, you're fasting today. Okay, I'll do it for supper. And the same thing happens. Because I am so accustomed to the things of this world, i.e. my appetite. And because of that, I really don't like to read or even preach passages like this. But we need it. We need it. As 2019 continues to unfold, this I wrote this in my notes, I want us, I want River Bend to see our need for spiritual restoration, to see the needs of our families, to see the needs in our community, to see the needs of continual restoration through obedience, and for us to be able to help For us to be able to see this restoration in our lives, I believe we need fasting to draw us back to Him. Richard Foster, a Puritan preacher, excuse me, and writer of yesteryear, stated this, and I so resonate with this. More than any other discipline, fasting reveals the things that control us. This is a wonderful benefit to the true disciple who longs to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. We cover up, Foster states, we cover up what is inside of us with food and other things. I don't know if you see yourself in that quote, but I see myself in that quote. I don't know any other discipline, Foster states. 
I don't know Bible intake. I don't know prayer. I don't know journaling. I don't know evangelism. I don't know meditation. I don't know any other spiritual discipline that shows what controls us more than fasting. What insight. Oh, I see myself in that quote. And it's not just food that I see that controls me. Maybe it's not food at all that controls you, but maybe it's a 5 or 6.1 or 6.8 inch screen. Maybe it's a 13.3 inch screen or a 21 inch screen or a 45 55. Maybe you throw that screen up on the wall and I'm telling you it is life size at your house. And that is what controls you. Because that's where you and I spend all of our time. It wasn't too long ago that I was reminded of an article. I hate to, to tell you. But I was reminded of an article I read in, in USA Today and and I just, I was in the office, I was back, back in the room, and, and I just knew, my phone was in my back pocket, and I just knew that somebody was texting me because I felt the vibration that a text was coming in. And I looked at the phone, and of course, no text. It's like, okay. Put it back in my pocket, keep going, about four or five minutes later, I mean, it's just, just, I know it's there. No, no. And I was so hooked, knowing that this piece of technology, that somebody was trying to get in touch with me, that I had a call, that I had an email, that it was, and it was not there. It was all fake. But I was so accustomed to it. My body was so accustomed to it. It It's like, yep, there it is. No, that's nothing there. A couple of generations ago, that was so foreign because it didn't happen, but that is so much today. People are tied to a screen. People are controlled by this piece of technology. People are controlled by their appetites. And as that occurs, this thing, this spiritual discipline called fasting, helps to show us what controls us. John Piper in his book, A Hunger for God, which is a fabulous, I've told you this before, but it is a fabulous, fabulous book on fasting. I think I've told you this before about it, but if you don't read anything else, just go read the introduction. If you can get through the introduction without falling on your face and saying, oh Lord, please. But in the introduction, he states this as a reason to fast. If you don't feel strong desires for the manifestation of the glory of God, it's not because you have drunk deeply and that you're satisfied. It is because you have nibbled so long at the table of this world. And in the next paragraph of that introduction, he goes on and says, two reasons for you and for me to fast is this, that our homesickness for God has waned, has lost so much appeal that we desire it back and we say, all right, I'm going to stop everything till I find you. Or 
Another reason that he gives for us to fast is because we have so much of him and we want more of him. We are in his presence so much and he has filled us with himself so much that we want more. Might I just keep confessing? Most of the time that I fast, it's not because of the second. It's because of the first. And I long that it would be for the second reason. So this morning, I want to show you two files or two tools, reasonings for fasting. Church today, that you and I might long for Him. That you and I might know Him. And that we might find ourselves like the psalmist in Psalm 34 verse 8. When the psalmist says, taste and see that the Lord is good. How happy, how blessed is the person who takes refuge in Him. So Jesus, I believe, understanding that passage and others like it, sets out in Matthew chapter 6 to speak about fasting. The first tool for fasting in your life and my life is this, that fasting brings life back into perspective. It, it brings life back into perspective. You, sir, you, ma'am, you students, you adults, we need to fast. Fasting is needed on two bases, so to speak, in life. One is more common, and I believe it is the average Christian today. Maybe that is where you find yourself right now. That you have been in this world and your mind has been so fixed on the things of this world for so long or for so boldly that you have forgotten your love for Christ. Look at the passage in verses 16 through 18 once again. He says, when you fast, whenever you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites, for they make their faces unattractive so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, put on oil, put oil on your head, wash your face so that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I don't have time to fully unpack this, but I need you to understand there are some today that say that passage right there, those three verses contradict what Jesus commanded in the verses that I read earlier. Do you, if you go back in there and you see, hey, he says, hey, don't be like the hypocrites. And then he interjects and says, hey, do something like the hypocrites. Do you see it back there in, in the verse on, on prayer? Don't be like the hypocrites and don't stand on the corner and don't make many words. Don't do it so that people will see. But that's really what he's saying in verse 16 and 17. Don't fast so that people can see. Meaning this. Maybe, maybe you apply it this way. 
today. Don't set up an appointment at lunchtime just so you can go sit in front of somebody and say, hey, yep, go ahead and eat. I'm fasting today. Let me get my water. Yep, I'm hungry. Fasting today, though. Don't do that. You have your reward. If that's what you do, that's what he's saying. Don't make your physical appearance different so that when people look at you, they can see, and that is not the case in our culture today as a whole, but it was in his day and the culture that he was speaking into in the first century, people would change their facial appearance so that they would be looked upon as if they were spiritual. Don't do that. But fast in such a way, sir, ma'am, fast in such a way that when you do it, your father sees it happening in secret, whether nobody else knows it, your father sees it and he will reward you. Your turn, your turn to participate. How many times do you think fasting is spoken of in Scripture? Anybody got a guess? All right, let's say it this way. I'm gonna, we think baptism is important, right? I'm probably giving this away, but we think baptism is important. Do you think fasting is spoken of more or less than baptism? If you think it's spoken of less than baptism, raise your hand. Of course, I just told you that it was important, right? Y'all are smart. This is good. How many of you think that fasting is more than baptism? How many think it's equal to baptism? Any of those think that it's just right on? I don't really want to say it. Okay. Baptism is spoken of 23 times. 23 times in Scripture. Baptism. Fasting is spoken of three times that. 77 times. You won back there on the back. They were excited with that number. It's good. I'm not going to go through the 77, but I want to draw your attention to a couple of them. As we see that fasting brings life into perspective. Let me draw your attention to a few of these passages. In Judges chapter 20, you can turn there if you want, but in Judges chapter 20, there is a fast. And that fast was given when the people of Israel, when the 11 tribes converged to go up against the tribe of Benjamin, there was some gross sin that was happening in Benjamin, and 11 tribes went to go up against Benjamin, and they were going to fight. And day one, these 11 tribes, they sought the Lord. They, they prayed. They outnumbered Benjamin 15 to 1. But they lost terribly. And in that first day of battle, they lost 22,000 men. So they go back to their tents. And on day two, I mean, they have mourned. They have sought the Lord. And they went up against Benjamin a second time, that second day, and they lost 18,000 men. So in two days, they lost 40,000 people, 40,000 soldiers. And that night after the battle of that second day, they fasted. They prayed, they mourned, they fasted all day long, and God said, okay, I'll give them to you. Only after they sought God with fasting did the Lord give them 
victory. So fasting brings us back, brings back this perspective of life when you fast, even when you are desperate for him to move or you're confused knowing what he desires for you to do. Fast. 1 Samuel chapter 20, 2 Samuel chapter 1, 2 Samuel chapter 12 all speak of fasting to express our grief and our disappointment. Saul was trying to, um, and was insanely jealous of David, and he was trying to kill him. So David fasted. Jonathan fasted. On the second day of the month, Jonathan, Jonathan fasted, for he was grieved by his father's shameful treatment of David. Then David and his men wept. They tore their clothes and fasted for Saul and his son Jonathan the army of the Lord, because they had fallen by the sword. They had lost Jonathan and Saul, and they fasted. And then they were grieved over sin that was in his life. David, when his son was born from Bathsheba, he was sick even unto death. David wept, David prayed, and David fasted for a week while the baby was alive. So you and I fast to express our grief, disappointment. Ezra chapter 8, we fast for safety, protection, for direction. Ezra set out to lead this group of exiles back to Jerusalem. And so in this 900 rigorous mile journey across dangerous territory, he fasted, he prayed. Esther chapter 4 verse 16, she fasted and called those in the city to fast before she went in front of the king, before she went in front of the evil, Haman. 2 Chronicles chapter 20 verses 3 and 4, Jehoshaphat hears that three armies are converging against him and against Israel and they're ready for war and he fasts. You and I can fast for safety, for protection, for direction. And maybe that's where you need to turn your attention, parents, to fast for your kids. Maybe that's where you need to turn your attention to fast for those that are close to us, for safety. Maybe there are decisions that need to be made in your business, ma'am, sir, fast for direction. But a final one that we'll look at, Nehemiah chapter 1 verse 4, kind of goes in that same direction, fasting before you and I undertake a major significant project. Before Nehemiah started the process of rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem, he fasted. He spent three days at night going around the city. Nobody else was around him. He was praying over this city and he was fasting before he undertook the project to get out of ruin, to bring restoration, he fasted. And maybe you find yourself this morning in ruin. Maybe the things that are happening in your house feel as if you have ruined everything. The things that are in your life, they feel as if it is ruin. And you are seeking restoration fast. But this second tool, not only does it bring life into perspective, but fasting for sharpening our spiritual acts 
Fasting seeks for God to break through and save. Is that where you are? Are you at a, at a point of desperation to this point that, okay, everything that I've tried, I have just been swinging the axe and it has been happening Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday all week long, all month long, all year long, all decade long. And I'm just so tired. Take a moment and turn to Isaiah chapter 58. Isaiah chapter 58 is the longest passage on fasting in Scripture. Isaiah chapter 58 is all about fasting. Isaiah chapter 58, I'm not going to read the whole of the chapter. But I do want to read the middle section. Why have we fasted, verse 3 states. Why have we fasted, but you have not seen, speaking to God. We have denied ourselves, but, we ha- but you haven't noticed. Look! You do as you please on the day of your fast. God speaking back to them. And oppress all your workers. You fast with contention and strife to strike viciously with your fist. You cannot fast as you do today, hoping to make your voice heard on high. Will the fast I choose be like this? A day for a person to deny himself, to bow his head like a reed? to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Will you call this a fast and a day acceptable to the Lord? Isn't this the fast I choose, God speaking, to break the chains of wickedness? Is that where you are today? Are you bound in wickedness? Is there something that just has a hold of you, sir? Ma'am, is there something that just, you are just entrenched, you are entrapped? With wickedness. To break the chains of wickedness. To untie the ropes of the yoke. To set the oppressed free. To tear off every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? To bring the poor and homeless into your house? To clothe the naked when you see him? To not ignore your own flesh and blood? Then your light will appear like the dawn. Your recovery will come quickly. Your righteousness will go before you and the Lord's glory will be your rear guard. At that time, at that time, when you call, the Lord will answer. When you cry out, He will say, here I am. If you get rid of the yoke among among you, the finger pointing, the malicious speaking, if you Offer yourself to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted one. Then your light will shine in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. Last verse we'll read. When that happens, Riverbend, the Lord will always lead you. 
The Lord will always satisfy you in a parched land and strengthen your bones. You will be like a watered garden and like a spring whose water never runs dry. So what's the action for today in this spiritual discipline called fasting? Well, let's understand this. Fasting is not a diet. I know there's a thing out there called the Daniel Fast. It is not that. There's a book about it. There's all kinds of articles and blogs about it. That's not a fast. That is a diet. Sirs, that's a diet. Don't try to put that on your wives. That's a diet. Unless. Unless. The only reason you are eating vegetables and you are drinking water is so that you can be sold out to the Father. Spiritually speaking. If it's about physical things, I don't care what the diet is. It's not a fast. It's a diet. not saying that's a bad thing. I don't need emails or texts. Y'all already know I'm like tied to that stuff. But let's know what it is. What is a fast? Fast is putting something aside for spiritual purposes. And if you are fasting, whether it's from technology, whether it's from an item, whether it's from food, from a situation, if you are fasting and you're not going there for spiritual things so that God would break through and that He would save, then I'm asking you, River Bend, to come alongside me this year. I believe this is a Great opportunity for us in 2019 to be called to come back to restoration, spiritual restoration, continual restoration, to look in our community where we can serve and see that broken community have healing. I'm asking for you to join me, calling us as a church, as a congregation to fast in 2019. Fast one meal. Fast one day a week to seek God to move in you and to move in and through us. One meal a week. One day a week. To give us favor in this community. To direct us for the next steps in buildings, in land, in ministry, in direction. To fast to see restoration come about in our lives. To fast to see restoration come about in relationships, in community, in our nation. For us to obey. Whenever you fast, fast in such a way that those around you don't see it. That you're not calling attention to it, but that the one who sees in your secret place. Sees and rewards. Father, you have called us to yourself. And Lord, I know, I know that for us, for me, God, it is so easy, so easy, Lord. For responsibilities, for likes 
of this world? For routine that I find myself in in the evenings and in the mornings and even at noonday. For my focus not to be on you. For our focus not to be seeking you more than this world. God, I need life and that perspective of true life to be seen. So I desire, Lord, You more than this world. I see the needs around me. And so often, Father, I put myself above those needs and I need to see the needs of this community, the needs of my family, the the true needs of myself as you do. God, this body of believers is your body. It's not mine. It's yours. Thank you for every student. Thank you for every child. Thank you for every adult that is here that is a part of this, your bride here at River Bend. God, would we come back to you turn our focus back to you. Sir, you have heard the request that I have made for you to fast one day, one meal, or one day each week. Maybe God's calling you to do more. Maybe God's calling you to do less. I I don't know, but seek Him right now. Ma'am, seek Him. Students, seek Him. Ask Him for direction. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. The response is for us to obey Him. Maybe it's not even about fasting today. Maybe you partook of the Lord's Supper or you saw what was happening at the Lord's Supper and you need Jesus. Come and talk to me. Let me share who He is to you as we stand and as we respond back to our Father. Alex?